Welcome to the Road to Success podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by Celebrity Speakers New Zealand, Aotearoa's foremost professional speakers and entertainment agency and have been for the last 30 years. Today, my guest is Hayden Patton and he is one of Celebrity Speakers' top keynote speakers. So if you are interested in having him at your next event, then please head to celebrityspeakers.co.nz and inquire with the friendly team. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with rally driver Hayden Patton. Hayden Patton, mate, thank you very much for doing this. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. You're clearly New Zealand's most successful ever rally car driver, but my, my question is sort of back to the start. That's now, you know, where do you start and, and how do you get into rally driving to start with? Because, you know, if you're, if you're playing tennis or something like that, you know, there's thousands of tennis clubs and you just go to your nearest one, but rally driving, I'm assuming, is a, a bit different. So how did you get started? Uh, yeah, very much a family uh, affair, if you like. My father was a was a rally driver, and um, you know, obviously, just got brought up around that as a kid. Um, and then it just was something that was somewhat normal in our family. You know, my father, even as a as a kid, you know, he was going away rallying and racing and fixing cars. And I'd be in the workshop, probably getting in the way more than anything. But um, it was just something that you sort of got accustomed to, and uh, being brought up around that, it just always felt normal. And and yeah, you're right; it's not really the sort of sport that you can just go up into school and sign up for and play for it like rugby or cricket. Um, it does have to have a bit of a background through family or friends, um, and you know that's something I hope that we can change one day as well because the sport actually is it is quite easy to get into, um, but you just have to know how to do it. So you know, I was very fortunate to have a very supportive family, and particularly my father, who's uh, probably just as much of a rally nut as what I am. Yeah, I bet he's proud, eh? Yeah, he's played a big part of it all the way since day dot when he built me my first uh, go-kart when I was uh, six years old, and I think it was powered by a chainsaw motor, so uh, not 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 the fastest, but um, that's where it's all started, and, and even to this day, even with the business, you know, he's the sort of person I get onto the phone every day with, and just, he's like my uh, my rock, if you like, in terms of, you know, getting a bit of confidence in what I'm doing, or a second opinion, or whatnot, so um, yeah, even what... 28 years since I started driving a go-kart, he's still the, the person I, I turned to first. Yeah, it's so, so good to have someone like that, a mentor almost as well. Um, so what age what age did you jump behind? Like what was your first sort of rally race? You know, and, and, and you obviously did a bit of go-karting before that, before you jumped behind a, you know, a proper car. Uh, yeah, well, probably driving younger than what I should have been. Um, that's the beauty of growing up on a farm. You can be out in the paddocks and driving cars and playing around. So you're doing it from a, quite a young age. But yeah, the go-karts were sort of the the flagship, if you like, to me learning the basic skills of driving and, and learning the basics. And um, by the time I started driving cars, I was 12, which is when you can get a motorsport license in New Zealand. You can do sort of closed road or paddock type time trial type events. And yeah, started from there in a little old trusty Mini, uh, which is probably where my current sick obsession of Minis uh, has started from, the classic Mini. Uh, and then it went from there really, um, from step by step into once I had my learner's uh, driver's license, I could then actually start doing rallies. So doing rallies with the learner plates on the car and then just going through the, the stages. You know, we always from that very uh, young age, my father always taught me about having goals and steps in place. And, you know, even back then I had a lot of goals, even though it felt very far-fetched trying to, for example, make a career or go overseas out of it. Um, it felt like probably wanted to go to the moon, but still I had goals um, and I was just trying to achieve those uh, each year. 
Mm. So what was, do you remember, like if you can think back now when you're sort of, you know, even, you know, 12, 13 years old, do you remember sort of a goal that you'd set yourself? Yeah, it was always um, little little steps, little goals. So uh, even when I was 13, it was all about trying to win the local car club Motocana Championship or trying to win the junior championship. And then the following year, it was about, okay, let's see if I can do an event in my father's car. Um, let's try and win class. Let's try and win a stage. It was always all these micro goals along the way. And it just gave you these these small wins, these constant small wins. And, and it was all about, you know, just trying to build momentum. It was about building confidence and yeah, I've always just been one. Just, I've always wanted goals. If I haven't got a goal, I feel like I'm a bit lost um, because you're sort of going nowhere. So, um, yeah, even from that age, it was always about trying to meet those goals and um, and try and find new targets to, to reach for. Yeah, that's really cool. And you know, do you do you ever reflect at all? You know, lots of people that have you know had. Um, you know, large amounts of success if you have, you know, often don't do this. But do you ever sort of sit back and think, you know, like look at how far you've actually buddy come, you know, like to, to you know, wanting to, you know, win a go-kart race to, to where you are now. Do you ever reflect on that and think, bloody hell, this is actually not bad? No, you're probably right that maybe we should sometimes to appreciate what we have done, but not at all. Um, I'm a big person for living in the future rather than the past. Um, I'm always constantly looking forward. I'm always wanting more, even now. Okay, we're not on the WRC right now, but you know, we haven't given up on that, that aspiration. So at the moment, I'm just constantly working forward because you know I can learn from the past, but I can't change the past. So um, yeah, I'm sure one day I'll look back on it and, and probably sort of take it in a little bit more. But in the meantime, I, you know, I'll probably put it down to that. I just simply don't have time and um, I want to keep looking forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you spoke before about, you know, uh, growing up rurally and being able to race cars around paddocks. And I think anyone in New Zealand that's, uh, you know, lived or grown up uh, rurally can certainly relate to, uh, you know, driving an old beat up car around a paddock. Um, But, you know, to what you're doing now is a, you know, a a huge step. Like, you're obviously used to it because you grew up with it. But, you know, from an outsider's point of view, looking at, at rallying, it just looks absolutely insane. Uh, yeah, well, I'm probably a bit biased. I think it's one of the best sports out there. Certainly, one of the best forms of motorsport. It's a it's a real challenge, but it's also a real team game, which a lot of people don't see from the outside. They see the driver and the co-driver in the car and think that's it. But you know, you got these big teams around us, from engineers, technicians, to logistics, to management, to all the sponsors and partners. You know, we can't even go rally uh, obviously without funding because it, it is a very expensive sport. You know, we've got this massive support network all around us. Um, and that's the same across all forms of motorsport around the world. But yeah, I, I love it. I love it when you put on the helmet. Um, it's the one time that you basically escape the world. You know, you get the adrenaline going, you put on the helmet, and you literally go into a zone where you forget about everything. And it's the best place ever. And you're just in this sort of sync with yourself in the car, and it's almost like dancing, and you're just that one with everything. And okay, sometimes it goes wrong, and it goes wrong pretty quickly, but. Um, and saying that when everything's going well, it's just like a absolute um, pure, uh, I don't know what the way to describe it is, but you just can't replicate it doing anything else. And uh, that's probably why I love it so much. That's the flow state, I think. Um, I don't want to pronounce the, the, the guy's name that, that, that came up with that idea, but it's a, um, yeah, it's, that's a flow. That's flow when you're just absolutely in tune with everything. And I think, you know, particularly these days, we it's, we miss that a lot. You know, when you're, that's that one thing where you're completely tuned into one thing and you, and obviously at this, you know, the speeds and the, the, the um, you know, the, the element of, 
you know, possibility of error that you're um, dealing with, you can't concentrate on anything else and your focus is, is solely aimed at one thing and you're not distracted by a, a cell phone or, a, you know, or, or anything else. It's, it's probably something that is actually quite hard to find these days. Yeah, well, like you, you probably hit the nail on the head there. We, we don't really have any option but to try and get into this flow state because we know the consequences are so high that if we do make a mistake from a lack of concentration or, you know, we're talking millimeters in terms of hitting the apex of corners or but then there's a tree or a cliff or a rock or there's all sorts of things that are literally millimeters away um, and we have to be 100% concentrated to, to make sure that we, one, avoid those mistakes but also, two, perform at a very high level. Um, you know, if you want to add in an element of safety so that you miss those bits, then you're going to be slow. So you can't, you, you've almost got to block out that those obstacles are even there and still drive 100% flat out but have the concentration to make those millimetre and inch perfect decisions. So yeah, that's, that's why I love it. And, and you're always searching for perfection. There's no such thing as perfection uh, in this game when it comes to driving. You know, rallying you out on stages, every corner is different. The road surface is always changing. Um, it's not like going around a racetrack where you've got the same corners every 12 times and you can perfect every corner. It's very rare you can ever get to an end of a rally stage after 20, 30 kilometres of stage and hundreds and hundreds of corners and say, I got every single corner and break and right. There's always, you know, you can do a very good job of it, but there will still always be spots where you can do better. And, and, and I love that about it because you're always trying to push yourself to go, okay, how am I going to get better? How am I going to improve? How am I going to improve myself? How am I going to improve the car? And it's just that never-ending battle to to search for perfection. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, it's the race without a destination, almost, isn't it? That you sort of you never you never get there, but it, uh, it's the journey of uh, of chasing it that becomes the 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 real fulfilment. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, you talk about millimeters. You know, it's sort of that it, you really you really flirt on the edge of of pushing everything to the extreme, don't you? You know, it's sort of a one millimeter one way, and it's 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 you know maybe a perfect corner or, or as close to perfect as you get, and a millimeter the other way, and it can uh, can go wrong. It's really dancing on that the air, and that's where we tend to find the flow state. I think when our um, you know when our skills and our and the challenges we uh, are, are undertaking uh, are perfectly aligned for our skill set, and that's tend to be when we, we uh, you know, find the most fulfillment and the most joy and are most engaged. Oh, 100%. And, uh, yeah, I remember the one time I got the flow state the most. So, obviously, we've, you know, encountered it quite a lot in our game. But the one where we had it the most was actually when we won Argentina Rally back in 2016. And we went into that last stage with uh, the world champion, Sebastian Ogier, only two seconds behind us. But it was this real emotional um connect for myself of all of a sudden and I, it was almost like a reflection period for me like it come down to a whole week of rallying down to the last stage but for me at that moment it was like this hasn't just been about this week this has been about 20 years to get to this point you've finally got a chance to win a world rally and it's looking like it's slipping away and it was that that moment of reflection which probably mixed with a bit of anger and a bit of passion all of a sudden that stage I hardly remember it and and we won the stage won the rally um, but it was this complete subconsciousness for that whole, you know, in terms of the actions that we did. Um, and yeah, it was a pretty unreal feeling. Yeah, that's a trait often described by people when they're in flow is that they, they, they sort of have no, you know, very little recollection of it. It's almost like sort of, you know, someone was someone was acting through your body almost. Have you, obviously, the, you know, that 2016 was, a, was, you know, a great result for you. Did you, once you felt what it was like to have everything in tune and, and sort of that that real element of, of almost sort of um, 
purity and connection with whatever you're doing. You know, obviously, the car in, in this in this stage for you, but um, have you tried to replicate that, or you know, did you look at the things you did in the lead up to that 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 were able to induce that for you, and and then how you can look at replicating that at, at other you know races? Uh, certainly, hundred um, percent. Always try and learn from the things that work. Um, so went through many scenarios of trying to replicate that um, situation. Um, and, and to be honest, probably tried too hard to begin with to, to find that switch because it was literally trying to look for that switch. How do I find that switch that I switched on last time? And um, and by doing so, and by trying to search for it so much, you know, the next two events after that um, that, that debut win for us. We actually had accidents. We crashed on the next two rallies because we were trying too hard to find that that switch. But um, yeah, went through many scenarios, and and, you, and there are times where you 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 find the flow state. But you know, I've sort of found over the last few years that it's not something you can force. It's something that you have to sort of naturally let, ha- let happen. And and part of that comes down to preparation. You know, making sure you get to the event, making sure you're well prepared mentally, physically, making sure the car is working well. And if everything's in sync, if you're working well with the car naturally, then the flow state comes a lot easier. Um, I find if you're forcing things, so whether you're trying to drive a car that's not very well set up, so you're having to really struggle with the car, or you're mentally or physically not feeling on top of your game, and you're struggling with yourself, the flow state doesn't come. You need. It's, I think it's all about all the other parts of the of the recipe being good and being in place. And then the the advantages or the you know the the plus size of all that being in place is that then you can easily get into the flow state. So I don't think you can take any shortcuts. You can't jump from the start and go, oh, I just want a flow state. You got to make sure all those other steps are all ticked off and and then allow for it to come naturally. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's almost one of those things that the more you force it, the less like you are to have it. You sort of just have to do the things you know that that, that, that you can in the preparation, and um, you know, and, and the more you can do those, and the more you know, control the controllables essentially. Oh, definitely, and particularly in our game, it is a big mental game because we do have to just focus on the things that we can control. Like other, unlike other motorsports where you've got other cars around, you can see what your competitors are doing. And rallying, you don't. You know, you're at one or two minute intervals. You have no idea what everyone else is up to, um, but you can't worry about that because it's an uncontrollable. The only thing you can worry about is what you're doing, and that's a controllable. And it's just trying to stay focused on that. And obviously, in the competition world, that's sometimes easier said than done because you're always worrying, oh, okay, what tires has he taken, or what car setups he got, or and it is. You know, easy to sit here now and say, okay, I need to turn that off and not worry about it. But in the heat of the moment, um, you've got all this information coming in that's just trying to filter out what's important and what's not. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. What a cool insight. Um, you talked earlier about, um, you know, that, that rallying is, is certainly a team sport and you've got all these people around you. Um, at, at what age did you start having a team around you? Uh, probably quite early on. Um, Obviously, as I say, my father was a big part of it. But you know, when I started racing my mini, one of the first questions he asked me is, "How are you going to fund um, the race your car?" And naively at the time, I said, "I'll just work a few jobs," which I soon worked out wasn't going to work so well. So, um, at the age of thirteen, went around uh, a small town where I'm, where I'm from, uh, Geraldine, and we come up to shop Geraldine promotion, where we went around the businesses. They all sponsored a hundred dollars each, and and got on board with what we're doing. And you know, even though that wasn't mechanics as such, that was what introduced me to what I call a team environment because the team environment is also those people that help make the sport possible. And and that first year we had 13 different companies on board and it was my role to go around each of them after every event and update them how we're going, you know, make them feel involved in what we're doing and, and proud of what we're doing. And that's probably where the whole team element first started is, was working with all those people uh, back then. And 
from there on in, it's just continued to expand from like obviously the direct team, which is your mechanics and engineers, which was started with our small family team um, from when I was 18 in New Zealand. It was just family, friends, us all helping and enjoying and doing what we love doing. Uh, right up to when we went over to, uh, overseas for the first time and we had a whole lot of shareholders on board to help us fund um, to go through the, the ranks to get to WRC. You know, we had something like 65 shareholders on board. Um, and then now, so, okay, then when we're in the WRC, uh, we're in a, in a factory professional team with 250 people on the team to run three cars. So then that was a whole new level. And then right back to now, like we're now we're, we're a small New Zealand business. Um, we're trying to run our own motorsport team, so we've got seven permanent staff here. Um, but then on the on the events, we've got twenty two people to come in. So the dynamics of what our teams look like and how it's shaped has changed over the years. But it's the the philosophy behind it always never changed. It's all about making everyone work and feel as one team. There's there's no hierarchy. There's no um, people above another. It's about everyone collectively being together as one and working towards common goals. You know, there's no point me wanting to win, um, but the guys in the workshop not. You know, we all need to be wanting to win to, to strive towards uh, being the best. Yeah, yeah, and that'd be synonymous with any group of people trying to achieve anything, whether it's in a sport or a or a business or a, um, anything. I would think. Um, you know, obviously your teams have varied over the year over the years and in different stages that you've been in, what's it like as a young person um, knowing that, you know, ultimately that you're the one who, you know, that, you know, I know it's a team environment, but you're the one driving the car at the end of the day, you know, and, 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 um, you know, I guess, you know, their, their livelihood is almost, you know, in some ways dependent on you performing. Is that, did you feel pressure with that at all, especially when you were younger? Uh, not so much. I, I think I've always sort of thrived off that. I, I've always uh, enjoyed being a, a bit of a leader, if you like. As I say, there there is no one above anyone, but you always do need someone steering a ship, or in this in this case, a car. Um, but I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed sort of um, you know trying to drive the team forward and 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 um, for everyone to be motivated. And, and I know in my position, you know, you have to lead by example. Um, and that's not just with driving the car, that's with everything you do in terms of, you know, being proactive, being motivated, being passionate. Um, they're all aspects that, you know, you can drive into the team and, and as I say, lead by example. So I've never really felt any pressure. Um, I know at the end of the day, the, the most pressure and the most self-critical person is myself. Um, I know if I'm doing a good job or not. And, uh, and you know, at the end of the day, I'm out there to be, do the best that I can. I'm a very competitive person, so I'm always there to win. And, um, yeah, I'm probably the probably the hardest person to, to try and keep happy, if you like. Yeah, and that, again, that's probably synonymous with, with most people that are, uh, you know, performing at an elite level as well. Um at what stage, you know, obviously this was a dream of yours, you know, you had goals, you've been working with your dad and stuff as you, as you were growing up. At what stage did you decide that, like, I'm really going to give this a crack? Because, look, I know when you're young, like, and I don't know if it was the same with you, but there's always pressure to to, to follow a slightly more traditional path, you know, to, to go to university and you hear people saying things like, oh, just, you know, do the uni first, get your degree, you've always got that, then you can go away and, 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 and try this thing that you're interested in and then you can come back. At, at what stage were you like, look, I'm really going to give this a, a good shot? There, there was probably two stages to that. Like certainly through the school years, it was it was literally a dream. Like someone wanted to be an astronaut. It felt very, very far fetched, but I was still passionate about it. 
Um, as I left school, my father actually brought a four-wheel drive rally car, which for our family, you know, we weren't a wealthy family and, and my father worked very, very hard in the farm machinery business. And so that was a big deal for us, fam- for our family. It was a $30,000 car, but it was a fast car. It was four-wheel drive. It was, what, that was sort of the next step in my career at that time. And then when he turned around and said that I could drive it, that was like, okay, all my Christmases at once. And that was probably at the stage then um, where I decided not to go to university. Um, I was on the cusp of, okay, like you say, that was a natural progression after high school. It's okay, let's go to uni. I want to do business and get involved in marketing and whatnot. But the passion wasn't there for it. And that's where I probably sort of had to look at myself and go, hey, look, it's very clear what I'm passionate about. I love driving. You know, if I was always taking a long way to school. You know, the, the, it was normally a half an hour away from Jordan and Timaru. It used to take me maybe an hour and a half by the gravel roads. Um, it was very clear what I was passionate about. I wanted to drive. So, you know, for me, I made the decision to then go work um, after school uh, and, and start following that, that rally side of things. But even at that point, it was still very much New Zealand focused. You know, right then it was realistic for us to, to fight for a New Zealand championship. And, and that was still a high goal of mine was to be a New Zealand champion. And then it wasn't until we probably won uh, a scholarship uh, here in New Zealand to uh, compete in the WRC in 2010, which was called the Pirelli Star Driver Scholarship. And that's really what gave us our, our step up into that international arena. And without that scholarship, we would have probably never been able to make that step. Um, that was worth the best part of a million dollars, that scholarship, for us to get over there. And that's what then introduced us to the European market, the European people. And and once we were there, that was like a massive step going, okay, actually, we can do this. We're actually very close now. Um, that's probably where a lot more hard work started on the financial side of things because there was no follow-on from that one-year scholarship. So we knew at the end of that year we had to – well, we knew we had to stay there. If we disappeared again, then it was, the dream was gone. Uh, but then we had to raise the funds to stay there. So um, so that were probably the two steps where it was like, okay, the first step after high school, okay, I want to make a thing out of this rallying. Uh, but then the whole international WRC thing didn't come until we had that opportunity with that scholarship. Yeah, and and tell me about when you found out that you'd got that million-dollar scholarship. Uh, it was quite surreal. Uh, we'd actually been working for it for two years, um, and it was probably mixed emotion. So the first year that it, it came up, so it was a two-year, um, it was only available for two years. First year it came up, we are obviously very motivated to get it because we knew it was our ticket to get overseas, and, and we couldn't do it ourselves. We just didn't have the, the finances behind us. Um, and so that we, we really focused on that first year going. We had to go to Malaysia to do the qualifying event, and then basically the winner of that event was the one who won the scholarship. And um we were motivated. We pushed really hard. I put a lot of pressure on myself to go out and try and win that. Uh, and in the end, we ended up crashing into a, a rubber tree, which I can tell you now is not like rubber. They're actually quite hard. Um, but I was rather distraught. You know, we put all the effort. Emotionally, I was so connected to winning the scholarship because I knew that was the only way we were going to get overseas and we were in the trees and it was, you know, dream over. A year later, we went back and, and because of that whole incident, was so much better mentally prepared, physically prepared, uh, and then were able to win it. And then, as it turned out, the second year of the scholarship was actually the best best year to be in that car overseas because the first year, um, the whole program was learning. They were brand-new cars, brand-new team. Um, the drivers who won that scholarship in the first year didn't really get a fair chance because the cars were always breaking down. By the time we won the scholarship for year two, everything was proven, um, everything was reliable. We actually had a fair chance. We learned all the rallies and we were able to actually put ourselves on the map as a driver. So in the end, it worked out well. Um, but at the time, in the heat of the moment, um, you know, we were gutted we missed out the first year. But, you know, I've, I've been always a bit of a believer that everything happens for a reason. And, and that was certainly, uh, a, you know, when looking back at it now, um, it couldn't have worked out better. 
Yeah, it's an interesting insight and a good story. You know, I, I 100% believe in that. And at the time, you, you, you think, um, you know, why did this have to happen and could, could it not have gone the other way? And, and you start sort of, you know, thinking retrospectively. But I, I think that, um, you know, once we're graced with hindsight and wisdom and a bit of experience, you actually look back and you, you recognise that um, some of the obstacles that you had actually ended up making you who you are. And as you said, you know, like for that example, if you if you hadn't have actually, um, if you got it the first year, you know, the, the whole life may have, or the whole dream may have turned out differently. Oh, definitely. And it's all that small things, it's small turning points throughout my whole career that have made things the way they are that could have gone either way. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's always quite interesting when you look at hindsight and, and even now with the position we're in now and the things that we're doing now, going forward, they could go any way. And I'm sure we'll look back on five years time to the point where I am now and, and be thankful for that some of the things, the way they did work out. Yeah, well, it's the only way to be, isn't it? You know, like if you're, if you're anything but thankful, um, then, you know, you're just wasting energy essentially. Oh, definitely. And you can't live life with regrets. So you just got to get on and give things the best shot you can. Yeah, absolutely. Was this something that, like, do you feel like you had a natural sort of innate ability at rallying? You know, like, to be honest, my rallying uh, knowledge is, is relatively limited. I've learned more about it in the last week uh, preparing for this than I, than I have in the last 30 odd years. So, um, you know, was this something that, were you particularly good? Like, were you, were, 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 when you were younger, when everyone was sort of in these paddock cars or, or, or whatever you'd like to call it, or go-karting, did you have a natural sort of ability, do you think, or do you hear your parents talk about you being naturally good? Or is it, is it something that you think, you know, you've got through, through um, you know, just huge amounts of determination, huge amounts of hard work, and, and also the, 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 you know, deciding to actually give this a go? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm not one to blow my own trumpet. Um, to be to be perfectly honest, and maybe it's a little bit controversial, but I don't necessarily believe in natural talents. Uh, I believe all talents come through training and through hard work and through time. And you know, in my case, I think you know I started driving cars when I was two or three years old around around the paddock and whatnot, and that's just what I got brought up around. And if anyone else was given that same opportunity and was just driving all the time from a kid and you just become so at ease at it, you become um, natural at it, it just becomes part of your DNA, then anyone I think can become a good rally driver. I don't think it's something that you're necessarily born with and I think that's the same with maybe a lot of sports and a lot of people is that you, if you're brought up around something from a, such a young age and you're exposed to it and, and you start training and doing it, you know, I've been driving now, like when you go back from my first go-kart race, you're talking 28 years that I've been racing after 28 years, if I don't know how to do it very well, then there's probably something wrong. So I think it's just something that, you, you know, it's just ingrained into you through your upbringing. And, mm-hmm. and for me, as I say, with my father, um, you know, he taught me how to drive. You know, he'd take me out into the, the, the riverbanks uh, back in the days when they weren't all locked up. And you can actually go out and find some gravel roads. You know, he'd take me out hooning and, and teach me how to drive and some of the basics. And, and that's just all stuff that got ingrained in me. So, um yeah, I wouldn't say uh, it was something that you're necessarily born with. I think it's something that develops over time. Yeah, what's well, that Malcolm Gladwell thing? Is it that ten thousand hours? You know, and and um, you know, if you think that you've been driving for twenty eight years, um, you've you've more than surpassed your your ten thousand hours, no doubt. Um, how do you train for, for 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 rally driving? I mean, you know, obviously, I know you you, you would drive the car and race the car and um, stuff like that, but there's so many other elements to 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 you driving the car well. Um, what sort of preparation and training goes into um you know say like a a normal week or month for you 
Yeah, well, unlike other sports, we can't exactly hop in the car and go out and practice like you got to go practice your plays with rugby or cricket. You can't really do that. And and that's why rallying is such a big experience game. Um, we can't even rely on simulators like the circuit racing because in rallying, it's all about what you feel in the car. And that's changing, as I say, with every car, um, every minute of the road. So you can't replicate that. So rallying is such a big experience game that you just need to keep doing events, keep building the experience. And, and you know, you look at... The youngest ever World Rally Champion still is Colin McRae, who was 27. Um, 27 in Formula 1 um, scenario is actually quite old. And you've even got to look at Sebastian Loeb. He won his last World Rally Championship, his ninth World uh, Rally Championship, when he was 40 years old. And just uh, a month or two ago, he won a WRC rally when he was 48. So rallying is very much about experience because you just need time to do the rallies and, and, and build that uh, knowledge up. But you know, on the physical side, you know, you do have to be fit to be in the cars as well. Though. It's not as simple as hopping in the car and driving down the grocery shop and, and cranking up the aircon. Um, you've got to be physically fit so that you can make mentally quick and sharp decisions. And, and it's about the physical fitness um, complementing the mental fitness. And so, and a lot of that's based on cardio. Like, you know, days in a rally car are often quite long. You can be leaving a hotel at 5 a.m. in the morning. You're in the car. You're doing your road section to get to the stages. Um, you're doing six, seven, eight stages a day and then by the time you get back to the service park at night it could be nine, ten, eleven o'clock. You get the you gotta do your preparation at night and then again you do um you go again the following day. So you do that three days in a row with heart rates equivalent to, you know, riding a riding a push bike if you like. So anywhere from maybe 120 to 140 uh, during the stages. So um, not high intensity, but when you're doing that for long durations of time over three days, fatigue kicks in. Uh, and then you've also got the heat, you know, in the cars we're getting anywhere up to 60, 65 degrees on a hot rally with no airflow, wearing three layers of um, fire protective clothing. So, and then that obviously plays with you mentally, you know, if your brain starts going away and go, oh shit, I'm feeling quite hot here, um, then you're not focusing on what you need to focus on. So, you know, the physical fitness is really very much focused on cardio, um, just to get the um, cardiovascular fitness up there so you can handle with those stresses on the body. But, you know, strength is still important. So upper body strength, obviously, we're doing a lot of turning. We've got a lot of power steering, which helps. But on rough rallies, you're getting thrown around quite a lot, uh, which also means you need a bit of core stability. So the training I actually enjoy because it's very diverse. It's not like, you know, for example, maybe a rugby player where you have to train a certain muscle group because that's what you need to be strong in that particular position on the rugby field. For us, as motorsport drivers, it's about general fitness. So that's we can mix it up, you know, a lot of biking, a lot of running, um, a lot of cross country, uh, you know, do stuff with PT, um, with our personal trainers, maybe two or three times a week just to build some of that core strength. Um, a bit of Pilates for flexibility and, and whatnot. So it's very, very varied, which, um, I like because it keeps things fresh and you can change it up. You can change your programs up every few months if you like, just to refresh things again. Yeah, yeah, and obviously that's the the physical element of it. What about the you know the mental element? Is you know everyone that I've spoken to that that's sort of performing as a, a elite sort of athlete, I would say that you know they talk about the mental element being you know far more critical than 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 the physical element. And um, I had a guy um, uh, called Tim Bateman, uh, a rugby player, on here, and and um, you know and he was saying that you know it's almost sort of eighty twenty, and that you know from week to week, you know, or from from you from you know from rally to rally you probably don't get much stronger much fitter you know your your, your skills don't increase um you know drastic amounts in, in the space of you know weeks but your results can vary so much and and it's you know again that'd be synonymous against most sort of endeavors um 
so if the mental element, particularly in, in this game that you're in, it must be so critical. How do you train for something like that? Yeah, it's, it's tough. There's no real training mechanisms as such that we use. We, we do a little bit with, you know, such as reaction training uh, with lights and bits and pieces. Um, for me, one of the best mental training elements is, is actually driving, um, particularly if we can drive faster cars than what we race. And, you know, um, they call that overspeed training. Um, so, you, you, you know, here with the racetrack on our back door set, for example, we can we can go out there and drive in cars that got a higher top speed and, and create this world where everything's moving a bit quicker and then once you get into the actual rally car and the races, everything almost seems slower. So it's about tr- sort of trying to change that perception of speed a little bit and, and as I say, driving and reaction training is probably the best things that we can do towards that. But to be honest, you know, I've done, I've tried a lot of different ways in the past and, and worked with different people to, to mentally prepare for events. But to be honest, I'm actually very simple in that respect. Uh, for me, it's all about uh, planning and preparation. I know if I've done everything I can in my preparation, I know if I've got a good plan in the pre-race and during the race and I stick to that plan, then that's like my mental confirmation that I'm ready, I'm good, I've done all I can, relax and trust the process basically. So for me, it's actually my mental preparation is actually probably in some of my physical preparation to give me my confirmation that, no, you're good, Um, don't worry about it, don't overthink it, just get in there, put your helmet on and do what you do best. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I read that you don't have any sort of, uh, you know, um, lucky charms or you don't, you know, put the same socks on each week or anything like that. I'm pretty boring in all that respect, actually. I like to keep things pretty simple. Um, And uh, for me, it's less things that go wrong. Uh, You know, I I think I have tried some of that stuff like in the past, but all of a sudden if something changed and maybe, I don't know, you put the sock on the wrong way or, or you didn't have access to something that was normally lucky for you, then all of a sudden it plays with your head and it can actually have more of a negative effect than a positive effect. So I like to actually keep things really, really simple and not have too many things get, that can sway you negatively and just focus on the positive side. Yeah, yeah. Um, how much, I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about a, a, a big, you know, you've got you know, teams of people. How much are you over all elements? I mean, essentially, you're a business, you know, like the, you know, or maybe that's incorrect. But is, is that how you sort of treat it? Is it like a big organisation? Uh, so now what we're doing in New Zealand is we're, we're a small business. Um, but the, the motive of what we're doing with this business is very much like a team New Zealand. So, um, my goals in life are still on the sporting side. I want to achieve a lot on the sporting side. Um, even long term, if I get too old to drive, then I still want to have a, a world championship Kiwi winning motorsport team. Um, so therefore, we've got to develop the business to support that because you know we're very lucky. We've got a lot of good partners at the moment. But long term, and particularly with where we want to go, we need other ways to, to bring that income in to do that. And that's where we need the business side, which will be focused on technology solutions, a bit like what Team New Zealand does in the yachting. They might outwork some of their... IP to other teams or, or or whatever around the world, and then that's what can then um, push the, the sporting side of it. So we're building the business side of it simply to drive forward our sporting aspirations. Yeah, that's, that's smart. And so my question is, is how much are you sort of involved in all elements of the – I, mean, I don't want to say not particularly with what you're doing, you know, right now. We'll get to that soon. But you know, like as the driver, are you involved in the sponsorship? Are you involved in the the, the funding? Are you involved in the the logistics, the transit, the people, the hiring, the team members? Is that all part of your sort of um, your role, or is or is, is your role literally to, to to lead the team, drive the car? 
to be honest, I'm probably doing too much, <laughs> um, and I'm the first to admit that. But uh, it, like the role now is very different. Like so, when we were overseas with the Hyundai Motorsport and the WRC team, your role there was simply driver. That was all you did. And when you weren't at the at the rallies, you're doing PR, you're testing, or you're training. And to be honest, like you love being part of a, a factory team. It was a dream come true, um, and I love driving uh, in that team and, and those cars. But the lifestyle was almost boring because you had a lot of downtime. And, you know, we were living on the other side of the world, so we weren't around family, friends or anything. You were just driving, training, preparing, and then almost waiting for the next rally. Uh, and I don't like – I'm a person that likes to be busy. So now here with our own team, it's very much a Kiwi mentality. Like we're only seven people here, but we're – we're doing with seven people what we probably would be doing in Europe with twenty or thirty people, and that's because all of us are, you know, doing more than what we, you know, what we sort of bargain for, if you like. So, in my role at the moment, yeah, I'm sort of trying to lead the team, uh, doing all the sponsorship work, doing a lot of the marketing work. I've um, got a young fella helping me on the marketing side. Um, we've got a team manager that I'm working with to, to do all the logistics, but a lot of our guys at the moment are all young guys who are all learning this, and, and you know, I'm sort of trying to help them and. And as our team grows and develops, then for sure I know I have to step away from more things so I can focus more on the drive and, and the leadership. Um, but in saying that, I enjoy it all as well. I love being involved in, in a lot of different things and not not in a controlling or overpowering way, but probably more in a supporting way, even with our young guys who are learning, is supporting them and, and giving them, I guess, a mo- a positive vibes and motivation. You know, they're doing a good job and we're going in a good direction. So, um, yeah, I enjoy our small team, but I know... Going forward, we're going to grow and we're going to have a lot more people involved, which means that the roles will become a lot more specific. Yeah, well, particularly when you're passionate about it, like you clearly are, it's um, it's it can be hard to delegate and step back. You know, like it sounds easy, just do less. But you know, when when you're so enthusiastic and so driven and so motivated and so connected to what you're doing, um, it can actually be you know doing less can actually be harder. And it's not until you know certainly what I've learned is that it's not until that you actually learn to to trust other people, to delegate responsibility, and to you know free up your time to do the things that's most productive for you that you really start to take, you know, quantum leaps forward. Oh, definitely. And and the other way I look at all this is it's not just a sport or a hobby, you know, this this is my life, you see. So it's um it's, it's not like you're ever working a eight to five job, you know, as I say, enjoy what you're doing and never work a work a day in your life. And that's what it is for me. You know, for me it's, you know, all day, all night, go to bed when you're finished and then wake up and do it again. And but I do it because I love it and I enjoy it. And um and that's the sort of vibe I like to give off around our team here is that, you know, we're not here because we necessarily have to be. We're here because we want to be. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to look at it. And hey, look, I think everyone sort of searches for that. I'm not sure, you know, it's probably a minority of people that find it and you're certainly in that. So, um, which is, you know, fantastic. And you, you've talked about it a few times now. You know, what is it that you're doing now? Because it is a bit different from, you know, what you've been doing in the past. Yeah, I guess when we got unexpectedly dropped from the WRC team, uh, which we weren't expecting at the time because we had a contract and basically signed, sealed and delivered, and then uh, we had that unexpected phone call, it sort of lit a fire inside to come back to New Zealand um, and go, okay, I'm not done. I've, I've still got something to give, but I want to do this. I want to do this our way now. I want to do it the Kiwi way. So, you know, from 2019, we come back here into Central Targa. We've, we've set up our own team base. We've sort of headhunted some really good young uh, engineers and technicians. And then the first part of that was, okay, how are we going to stand out from the crowd? Um, how are we going to, when we're on the other side of the world, we're going to disappear very quickly. So the concept of the EV rally car come up, um, which in rallying terms, EV is um, is not really there. So when we launched that car after 10,000 hours of design and development and building, um, we were the first to launch an EV rally car uh, anywhere in the world. 
um, we're now in the development um, um, regime of that car and, and we're able to win with that car on its competition debut last year. So that EV car is sort of the core of what we're doing because we're trying to showcase that the sport's got a future. Um, as much as I love combustion and I love everything about motorsport with you know the fuel, the sound, the noise, everything, um, I'm also very realistic that the sport for it to survive has to be aligned with the automotive industry because, as I say, it's an expensive sport and at that top professional level, the manufacturers are who fund it. They're spending hundreds of millions of euros uh, every year and if the technology that they're racing and portraying through the marketing and PR channels is not relevant to what they're selling, then it's going to be very easy for them around the boardroom to say, hey, look, what's the point of us spending all this money? So this is where it's given us an opportunity here in New Zealand where things are a little bit more open, there's not as many rules as such, and we can and we can sort of develop things a little bit quietly while we're, while we're on the other side of the world to showcase to the motorsport and the rally world that, hey, look, EV is possible and we have to think bigger. We have to make steps forward to make this work before the sport dies. Um, so I see this as a, a relevant step to showcase that the sport has got a future because, um, as I say before, this is my life. I don't want to just be doing this for the next couple of years. I want to be doing this for the next... 30, 40, 50 years. And to do that, you know, the sport needs to have a future. So there's that element. But then, of course, now this year, we've also launched our own WRC2 program. Um, so in the past, normally you'd you'd have a budget and, and you'd take that budget to a European team and they'd run you in a car. So me and the co-driver, my, my co-driver, John, would head over and, and would do a rally in a campaign. So for us now to sit here and go, okay, Hyundai New Zealand, who are fully behind this program, um, who have gone out and we've brought our own car through Hyundai New Zealand, and we're going to take our own team here from New Zealand and run our own team and car in Europe is is almost unheard of. We'll, we will be the, the only non-European team. Uh, obviously, logistically, it's going to be very, very challenging, but it means that we've got control of that program and we're, we're going there to win over a two-year program. And again, that's obviously my own personal aspirations to still try and win world championships, but also as a team to showcase our team that we're here, we mean the business um, you, you, you're going to know who we are because we're going to be a little bit unique with the whole black, white, Kiwi livery to try and get that bit of a national feel to what we're doing. And I guess that's the next stepping stone for us to make our team international. And then beyond that, it'll be about combining those two. It'll be the future EV technology, which unfortunately there's no rules in place that we can take that car overseas at the moment. So we have to play a little bit of the waiting game combined with our team, which by then will have some international experience of us doing this WRC2 campaign, which is the main support category um, to the WRC. And then that means we'll be able to take around the world our EV hybrid hydrogen projects uh, on motorsport programs. So yeah, it's all about a 10-year vision. So when I come back in 2019, it was about, okay, I've got a 10-year goal um, to have our New Zealand team win a world um, motorsport championship. Um, very hard to sit back and say that's going to be WRC because in 10 years' time, I think motorsport will look very different to what it does now, um, you know, so we, we can't be too um, focused on one goal. We need to be very adaptable. So uh, so I'm pretty excited about it all. Um, we've got a lot of things on the, on the go, and um, I'm just, you know, pretty excited to get back overseas again this year with our own team and, and uh, do it our way. Yeah, I mean that whole that whole thing is is exciting. It's quite a sort of it almost embodies the sort of Kiwi can do attitude almost. You know, it's like right, well, um, you know, and 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 Team New Zealand have you know you've mentioned them a few times uh, have sort of you know blazed that way you know in, in another field, but um, you know electric rallying is certainly um, you know is it is, is the car you're racing at the moment is it a hybrid is it electric 
Obviously, it's not hydrogen yet. Uh, yeah, so here in New Zealand, we're still racing a combustion car, and overseas is going to be a combustion car. But the main, the EV car that we're developing here that we've um, done some races with in New Zealand is full electric, 100% electric. So um, that's where I believe it will need to be long term. Um, hybrid is a bit of an interim term. Um, it's a bit like deciding not not knowing which way you want to go. So whereas for me, <laughs> yeah. long term, it's got to be full EV or full hydrogen. Like hydrogen will become a factor as well going forward. So, um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy how fast the technology is changing in the automotive industry at the moment. And um, and for me, it's sad to see that rallying has been left behind uh, in an industry where motorsport and rallying should be ahead of the automotive industry because you know that's at the end of the day where the manufacturers develop their technology, develop their ideas, showcase their technology. Before it then comes into the road cars, it gets sold to the to the public. So um, that's almost taken a bit of a roles reversal at the moment. So we're trying to turn that back around again. Yeah, well, um, early adopters are always um, you know going to stand out, and 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 I don't want to say be ridiculed, but you know it's um, you know if if, if it, it takes time for everyone to start doing things and 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 to catch up, I guess, and it's not until you know Elon Musk was making electric cars far before anyone thought they'd ever buy one, and and um, you know like you've obviously very forward thinking with what you're doing, and and it's maybe that that drive to realise that you've got to do something um, you know special to stand out because we're over here in New. Zealand that's that's force you to do that but uh, it's um, you know like you said eventually if we fast forward 50 years it's you know there's gonna probably probably very little racing in a combustion engine so you're certainly at the forefront of it yeah well I think um, we're having to stick our neck out as well like you, you do have to take the 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 pros with the cons like there are some people that don't like it but uh, like you say you do have to do things a little bit differently so um, yeah sometimes you got to sort of mentally block out the negativity around it as well yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's the it's the you know, the short term losses for the for the long term big picture gain, you know. And I think anyone that's that's at the forefront of anything is experiencing that. And it's about having that that passion and that fortitude to continue on when it's not always easy. So that um, you know, and and everyone calls you crazy and stupid at the start, but um, you know, you look back at people that were probably called crazy and stupid twenty years ago, and uh, they're all doing you know very well for themselves now. Um. Look, obviously with a sport like rallying, there's an element of luck in it, you know, and we talked before about millimetres, you know, you've, you've talked about how, um, you know, the track surface can change and, you know, between uh, between competitors even in a couple of minutes. Um, you know, I know that, um, you know, I think 2005, you, your car um, caught fire, um, it wasn't insured. I know you've you've uh, missed out on, um, you know, winning a, um, a championship by a point. Um, you talked before about, you know, getting a very unexpected sort of, um, you know, a, a, you know, bombshell, I guess, that, you know, you've been, you've been dropped from a team. How do you deal with obstacles and challenges when they, are, when they confront you? Uh, probably with determination, to be honest. Um, when I'm encountered with something that I don't necessarily agree with or I can't find a solution to, it just it, it fires me up to work even harder to go. It's almost like a, a prove you wrong type mentality. Like, no, I, I will find a way and I will find a solution. And, uh, and you know, I don't, I don't see anything as being impossible. There's some things that are very, very difficult. Um, and you know, if at first, as you say, you don't succeed, you just keep on trying. And um, for me, it's that unwillingness to to not succeed. Um, and I'm scared of failure. That's probably the biggest thing for me is um, I'm, I'm scared of failure. And it's not necessarily about the success or the winning. Um, it's about the failure that I'm trying to avoid. So I just do everything in my power. I, 
yeah, you turn over every single stone to try and find a solution. And um, yeah, it's just that, you know, I guess unwillingness to to not um, let myself uh, fail in anything. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's that's it's an interesting way to put it that it's the it's more the fear of failure that drives you than the than the the idea of winning something, which is potentially quite different. But I think there was I, I read oh, it was quite a while ago now, but there that emotionally we're more scared of losing things than we are of winning something. The the fear of missing out is actually a real thing. Yeah, well, my description of that is actually quite a weird one because I know a lot of people I've worked with on the mental side. It's actually more about the visualization of winning and and the positivity and whatnot. And I've tried to embrace it, but I'm actually the other way because I, I, I compare it to, you know, you got someone at, in front of you with a, a bag of lollies or something in front that you want to win, or you've got a dog who's running behind you chasing you that's trying to attack you. I know I'm going to run a lot faster from that dog than what I'm going to run towards those lollies. So <laughs> that's why I see it is I'm going to work harder and run faster from failure than what I am for success and trying to avoid failure for me because in my eyes, is either failure or success. There's nothing between. So therefore, if I'm trying to run from failure, it means I'm trying to get to success a bit quicker. So yeah, a very abnormal way to look at it, I know, but uh, that's just what's always worked for me. Yeah, it's still interesting. I mean, that's the kind of that's the idea of this podcast. If I'm honest, is to explore you know people that have had you know various elements of success and whatever they they may be trying to um, achieve, and then and sort of deconstruct some of the ways that they've they've done it, and and that is very contrary to to probably popular belief and and um, what most people do. That um, you know being scared of what you're running from, um, as as you put it, and that analogy does probably make you want to run faster than um, than do it. And so you know when you're Thinking about it, does it, you know, do you think about shit? I don't want to be at the end of this race sitting in my car smacking the steering wheel because we missed something. Is that sort of when you, is that sort of what you mean? Yeah, definitely. Like I'll, I'll prepare myself and I'll do all the work to make sure I avoid failure. So that means I know that I have to prepare the car well. I've got to prepare myself well and, and do everything I can in my power to ensure success. But in saying that, success is not necessarily winning. You know, for me, success is achieving my goals. And, you know, that's why it comes right back to the start where I've, I've got very clear goals for not just for a year. I've got micro goals for every rally I go to. I'll have a goal or it might even be for every stage of a rally. And if I meet those goals, for me, that's success. And, you know, I always set my goals very realistically um, and step by step. Obviously, the very end goal is always very pie in the sky. But all these goals along the way are always very realistic and achievable. And if I don't hit that goal, then it is failure. And then I have to, then I, I do sit back and I'm very self-critical. I'll go back home. I'll, I'll debrief. Um, you know, it's very important for me that I always debrief and and I learn why did I not succeed? Why did I not meet that goal? And then you know work doubly hard next time to to reach the next goal. So um, yeah, it's all about the success of meeting all those little little wins along the way, really. What an amazing way to put it, you know, success is not winning, success is achieving my goals. Um, and that is a, an idea that could be used by anyone doing anything. It's a, um, d- did you did you come up with that? Did you learn it? Is it something you sort of, you know, over the years just developed? Uh, my father from very young age always told me to have a plan, have a goals. And once we went through some of the motorsport academies and things that we were lucky enough to uh, attend um, in the early part of my career, again, it was about goal planning. So, you know, I've always had uh, very strict five-year plans. Um, I've always had 10-year goals. So, like, I have a, a very sort of, like, at the moment, my 10-year goal is to have a New Zealand World Championship winning team. Um, but that's just a general goal. 
but the five-year goals, I break down year by year and then every year I'll break down every almost every month, month by month or event by event. So um, the closer I get, the more it gets broken down, but I'm never just working one year at a time. I'm always working to a, a five-year plan, uh, which is broken down in more detail every year. But yeah, for me, I feel somewhat almost naked if I don't have a plan. If I haven't got a plan, uh, I'm all over the show. And if anything, I stress if I don't have a plan. So um yeah, as long as I work hard and get my plan in place and I know what works for me, um, then, you know, that gives me something to continue to strive towards. Yeah, yeah. The the I was taught that if you don't have a plan, you're relying on hope and uh, get off the hopium is sort of, um, you know, hope's not a good strategy for anything really, including, including, including rally driving. What was it like when you won, you know, you, you talked about that World Rally Championship before. It was in Argentina, um, was that correct, in 2016? Tell me, was that sort of like a pinch me moment? You know, like this, this, this. I mean, I don't know if you see yourself like this, but this, you know, this young kid growing up in Geraldine in rural New Zealand, and all of a sudden, not only um, you know taking on the world, but actually winning. Was that, uh, you know, is that sort of like a lifelong memory for you, or is that just a step on the ladder? Yeah, it's, it's a double-edged sword. That one. Um, the day itself was like the worst. It was half and half. The the morning when we we're obviously racing emotionally, it was very tiring because we're getting chased down by a world champion and you know maybe my self-confidence was not so high because you know he he took the gap from 30 seconds to two seconds and myself along with the rest of the rally world thought he was going to pass us on that last stage um so emotionally i was like almost felt physically sick which i've never done before in a competition just because he knew there was so much pressure and so much on the line but then of course once we won the rally the afternoon was like the best day of my life just that Probably that relief that we did it was probably the biggest emotion. Um, but looking back at it, like there's a bit of maybe regret that you know I didn't probably enjoy it enough because uh, yeah, and even now it's the same that you know you win a rally and you have that sort of five minutes to yourself to go, okay, that's cool, I've achieved my goal. Um, probably more so a relief that I've achieved my goal. I, I can relax a little bit about that. But then all of a sudden the attention shifts very quickly to the next event, and particularly in WRC, you know we're racing every two or three weeks, so we were straight back on a plane and my focus was already on the preparation for the next event. I, I forgot that we won that. But it did raise the bar as well though because then all of a sudden, knowing that we'd won one, I knew that we could win more. And we were unlucky. We, we, you know, we probably should have won more, but you know, things just didn't quite fall our way. So my focus was always again ahead and, and, and there's probably some regret that maybe I didn't spend enough time to enjoy those moments and to reflect on those moments. But in saying that, I'm sure one day... When I'm a bit older, I can probably still do that. So, um, yeah, I've always been a little bit inclined to, to probably be looking too far ahead of myself sometimes rather than being in the moment And when it comes to celebrating the good things. Yeah, and I think that's probably natural with all successful people, you know, particularly if you're goal-orientated, you know, that's the thing with with, with goals is that there tends to always be another one in front of you and, you know, you tick one off and, um, you know, it's hard or, you know, it doesn't seem natural to sit there and, and, and bathe in your own uh, glory or, you know, celebrate it too much. You sort of, particularly when you're driven, you're like, right, cool, what's next, which certainly sounds like, um, you know, the, the what it's been like for you. Why do you think that you've been, you've done so well? You know, we've talked about, um, you know that, that you've had you know now 28 years driving you you grew up from a young age you're very passionate about it um, you know is there do you think there's is there another sort of secret to why well, not secret but is there something that you think that's that's helped you become so successful um <laughs> So the thing is, I don't look at myself as being that successful yet. I, I still feel like I've got a lot to achieve. So, you know, that's 
not something I necessarily accept. And I, I guess it's because of that is why I keep driving forward. Excuse the pun, but um, I I know I can achieve a lot more. And um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, because this is a life of mine, um, you know, I simply just look at it. Well, what else am I going to do? Nothing. This is this is me. This is without rallying, without the sport, I'm no one. Um, and and not just in terms of a, a, a person, but just physically and emotionally, I, I'd be completely lost. So it's just that it's it's me. It's my DNA. It's what I love doing. It's what I'm passionate of doing. It's what I um, I can be good at doing sometimes. And uh, and it's that constant drive to go. Well, but I can be better, and I can achieve more, and I can do more. And it's because of that that. You know, I'll, I'll always be giving it 110 percent until the day that I can't do it anymore. So, um, yeah, I'm just continuing to strive, and uh, yeah, just love every minute of the journey. And it's a bit like the goals here we're saying is um, it's it's the journey I love. Um, so, if you call every goal a destination, once you get to the destination, that's not actually really the fun part. The fun part's the journey. So that's why you then focus on the next journey to the next goal. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm just enjoying the journey and, and loving every minute of it. Yeah, and trying to enjoy the process is a is a is a difficult thing when you are goal orientated. Obviously, that's the that's the you know I, I you know north star that we all aim for is enjoying our you know life is that's an analogy for life. I think you know that's we're all in such a hurry and goal orientated to get to the end, but the end of life we <laughs> it's bad we die. You know you've got to you've got to figure out a way to try and enjoy what's happening now. And as you said, uh, as you put it so perfectly, uh, enjoy the journey. Um, I was having a look at your website and. Um, Look, something that sort of stand out, well, really should have shook me, and I'm, I obviously shook you, was the the, the Monte Carlo rally in 2017. Um, What's the accident? Do you want to sort of share what happened and 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 and, and what that was like for you? Yeah, obviously a, a completely unfortunate incident. That was was well, it was an accident. Um, yeah, whether. <laughs> I don't try and go into too much detail or do any finger pointing as such because it's not really the type of incident that needs to be delved into too much. But um, yeah, we obviously just got caught out by some black ice uh, on that uh, Thursday night in Monte Carlo and, and we were just sliding down the road. And, and unfortunately, there was someone basically standing on the road and, and you know where they were standing, they had no escape route because it was a massive rock cliff wall behind them. So they couldn't they couldn't go anywhere. So... Yeah, just a completely unfortunate incident that someone was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and yeah, obviously the end result was um, something that no one ever wants to see. Uh, sport doesn't often see it and, and unfortunately we were on the receiving end of it. So yeah, it was it was pretty tough. Um, and probably, the, well, one of the toughest things looking back on it was how to move on, the next step. And, you know, at that time, and, and the part that people don't realise is, is that we had uprooted my whole life. Um, we were living in Europe at that stage for five or six years. We didn't. We had a couple of friends, but you know, no one super close like what you have in New Zealand, for example. You're living in a different culture, a different city. Um, you couldn't speak the languages, so therefore, you know, once you had to go home after that rally, you went back into an apartment where you were so isolated with no support, no nothing. And then, as a professional driver. Your job is that you had to be at the next rally in two weeks' time and, and perform, and you had to move on. And it was it was probably that lack of support that was the hardest part. It felt like you went away into this big black hole, and you were very much on your own trying to deal with some demons. And um, and getting back on the horse was important, though. So getting back in the car and, and trying to move on was was important. Um, and you know, at the time, you tried to do the right things. You tried to reach out to the family, and and um, you know, obviously, it was not necessarily anyone's fault, but you know, still you wanted to do the right thing and 
no one really wanted to respond or or, or reach out because you know the cultures over there are very different to how we would normally deal with um, sort of those sort of situations. So yeah, it, it was tough, and it probably took. You know, even though once once I got back in the car, you know, I felt like you know I could drive and everything again. Um, it probably took three months, I think, to sort of really fully move on to get back in that mental zone to drive at the highest of levels. So, you know, those next couple of events afterwards, you know, we definitely lost a bit of the edge. Um, but you know, it was our role in the team as a professional driver that you had to just get back in there. You weren't, you couldn't complain about it. You just had to do your job and and get on with it the best you can. So. But yeah, it was tough and it's something that very rarely happens. That was, I think, and at WRC level, you see some of it in national level sometimes in, in Europe, but in WRC level, that was maybe the first spectator death in 20 years uh, and there hasn't been one since. So um, yeah, you sometimes wonder why why was it us? But uh, anyway, um, you know, the sport learned from it, which was important. They, they put new safety regulations in place and they were a bit, bit more stricter on spectator safety and, and where safe zones and things were. Um, so it was, you know, at least some positive come out of it in that respect that there were lessons learned. But yeah, certainly not the situation I'd wish upon anyone. Yeah, I can I can totally imagine. And, um, you know, in, in some ways, you know, you said about being a professional and having to sort of get on with it, um, you know, obviously respectfully. Um, but, you know, in some ways that was probably the best thing, you know, certainly from an outside point of view, you'd say, all right, well, you know, if you didn't, you know, say if that was the end of a season, for example, and, you know, you didn't, you didn't race again for another, you know, eight months, nine months, it might have been, um, could have been, you know, playing on your mind a bit more. But when you sort of, of, you know, getting it, you know, you're forced to get back up, you know, and you do what you need to do, but obviously the two or three weeks later, you're back in a car again. And, um, you know, that's, that was probably, like I said, the, maybe the, the best thing you could do. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, it's the same even when you have a, just a normal accident or crash, the, the best thing you can do is, is, is get back in the car as soon as you can. Um, and, and just basically try and forget, okay, not in this case, forget, but in a normal ca- a case of you had a crash or whatnot, you need to forget about it and move on and not let it actually be something that slows you down. So, but yeah, as I say, it took a few months. Um, but I think by mid-season uh, that year in 2017, I was back driving as good as I could. There were some people, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, commentators and things and experts, so-called experts who thought that we'd lost the edge forever after that accident, but we never did. Um, you know, it did come back. Um, just the results didn't necessarily show it. We had a lot of um, unfortunate mechanical failures and incidents that didn't allow us to maybe get the results that we needed. Um, but it, it didn't slow us down long term like some people thought. Yeah, no, it's a testament to your, your character and, and, your, and your teams as well. Um, what do you ultimately want to to... I would say have done. You know, you've obviously got these goals and these ten-year plans and these things that you're sort of aiming at. You know, if you were to to sit back and and go, hey, look, this is what I want my legacy to have been in in motorsport. Do, do you think about that now, or do you have an idea? Uh, well, for certainly, I want to leave a legacy. Um, I don't want to be the person that's just won a couple of championships and rallies and and done this. For me, it's about a much bigger picture. Um, Winning world championships is important, and that's something that we're still working on. And okay, we've won um, some support category world championships in the past, but I feel like I've got more to achieve in that. But it's more than just that competition side. It's more. It's also about where I can take this team to. And this team is then about giving the opportunities to young technicians, engineers. It's about developing new technology, um, like this EV car. You know, even though we've got a lot more to achieve with it, you know, until I go to the grave, I can say that our team, we developed and launched the first ever EV rally car. And in 20 years' time, if EV rally cars are normal, well, we can always sit back and say, 
we did the first one in New Zealand. And it's about those little legacies that we can continue to take forward. And, and we've got a lot more to achieve in that side. And um, so that's more than, as I say, than just the results. It's about the team that we can grow and give opportunities to so many other people and to grow the sport. It's about the car technology that we can develop. And, um, you know, you look at people like, okay, it's a little bit difficult in our position because we have small budgets and we're a small team. But, you know, you look at Bruce McLaren and, and the legacy that he's left within Formula One is McLaren is synonymous within Formula One. And that's through what Bruce did in the in the sixties and and his um, Kiwi attitude, if you like, of of the whole can do um, thinking. So, you know, I, I want to leave an, an impact. I want to leave a, a mark in the sport, and I want to leave a positive effect in the sport that makes it ultimately bigger. I want to get more people involved in the sport. I want to see the sport grow. And uh, yeah, as I say, because it is my livelihood, it is my life. Um, you know, that's it's my best interest to see the sport grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like you're certainly on the right path, and I'm sure if you continue on like this, it'll be. Um, there's no doubt to it. Um, how have you, or have you, like, do you have obviously with so much travel and stuff, and 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 you know, rallying being, uh, you know, just just the level that you're having to perform at. How have you balanced, or can you balance, or have you had to sacrifice? I don't want to say a social life, but like, it's not. Like it's not normal, like you know, kind of what you're doing. And you know, it's not like I, I mean, I don't know, but I can't imagine you and, and the boys all you know stop off at the pub and you know maybe you do and, and you catch up with all your old schoolmates or I don't know if you've got a partner or you know the 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 lifestyle that you're, you're required to lead in, in order to do what you do must uh, there must be some I guess some sacrifices to a, a normal life. Uh, yeah, it is different. Um... For, so for me, it's normal. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. I don't feel like I'm making a sacrifice because it's just what I'm used to and it's what I do. Um, but but there is a lot of sacrifice and, and you see it with, you know, through school, I didn't really have a lot of friends. I sort of alienated myself a little bit because um, I lived in another, another town to where I went to school with, with my shared custody with my parents. So that was always a little bit difficult. And then from that, I never really had a social life. So I was never about going out and partying and I don't really drink or anything like that. Um, but you know, I've seen now since I've come back to New Zealand the last two or three years, like there's been a lot of sacrifices. Like we lived overseas in Europe for the best part of eight years. We were on our own. You know, I come back now and I'm sort of in my early to mid thirties now. But you know, I see a lot of people that you know I went to school with have got the families. The, the, their kids are nearly knocking on the door of being teenagers, and um, and you know, I've I've put all that stuff on the back burner. And, and for sure, one day, you know, you, you look at all the stuff and you want to do all that sort of thing as well. But it's almost like uh, while I was overseas, you put your life on hold for 10 years um, and now coming back and seeing everything developed and you feel like you're getting left behind a little bit in some respects. But on the other side of the fence, you know, you know, then they'll do what I'm loving to do. Um, but there's going to have to be some compromise going forward because, you know, for example, if you want to have family and friends, I can't continue to work 24-7, which is what I enjoy doing. But, you know, there's probably an element where, you know, I'm going to have to accept and I have to compromise if I want to build a bit of a support network for me long-term um, in my life. So, yeah, there is sacrifice, um, but I don't see it in the same light as, I guess, a normal sacrifice. So, if anything, I probably have to sacrifice what I call normal now to try and bring a bit more normality or what other people is a bit more normality into my life. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. Hey, um, two things to finish up. What are you most proud of? You know, like you look back and, you know, I, I read through the list of accomplishments you've had and the places you've been and, and um, you know, from a Kiwi kid from Geraldine, they're certainly, uh, you know, tremendous. Is there... Is this, you know, it might not even be an accomplishment. It might be, you know, something else that you've done or the, the result of, of who you've been for the last 28 years. Is there, is there something that stands out to you as, as far as what are you most proud of? Uh, 
There's a few. Um, I was certainly very proud when we launched this EV rally car with our New Zealand team. Um, you know, New Zealand built car, funded, um, just the amount of people that have been behind us. I've, I've always sort of said though, and I think it maybe wasn't as big of an achievement when you look at what some of the things that we've done now, but at the time with the resources we had and where we were in my career and, and how that's led to where we are now, I still feel one of my proudest moments was back in 2011 when we made the decision to go back and do the production world rally championship. So this is the, the year after we won the scholarship when all of a sudden we're on our own. We had to fund to go back and stay there. Um, so it was a million dollars that we had to fund. And I, I remember in the years leading up to that, many people would tell me it's not possible. It's you, As a Kiwi driver, you just cannot be in a WRC. It's too expensive. It's too far away. Um, it hasn't been done before. Um, Possum Bourne was starting to do it in, in dribs and drabs. Um, obviously, he was more focused in Asia Pacific and Australia. Um, but not a lot of Kiwis had done a lot of full-time rallying in Europe. So that constant reminder that it wasn't possible and then for us to really take a punt and go, okay, no, we're doing this. We're going to find a million dollars. When we when we made that decision, we had the grand total of zero dollars in the bank. We had three directors uh, or four directors here in New Zealand who were helping us. And then we basically had the community of South Canterbury plus some other people in New Zealand come on board with about 60-odd shareholders to fund that dream and then go out and win the Production World Championship that same year, that was a dream come true because we did something that many people told us we couldn't do and then that's what was a stepping stone for us uh, to stay in the WRC and, and to ultimately get us to where we are now. That's awesome. How cool is that, eh? What a good story. Yeah, definitely. It was all about just following through on, on what we felt at our heart we could do, really. It was it was leading with the heart, not the brain in, in that situation. So, uh, And as it turned out, it was, it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Somehow I always feel like your gut seems to – I always let my gut take the the, the, the the biggest decisions. They tend to tend to know what you should be doing and where you should be doing. And if you follow it, things tend to work out pretty well, at least in my experience anyway, and certainly in yours by the sounds of it. Yep, definitely. Couldn't agree more. Hey, to finish up, what do you wish everyone knew? You know, like like again, you you don't consider yourself successful, and um, but you know, certainly from an external point of view, you know, you've 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 done some remarkable things, and even just talking to you for the last hour or so, it's very obvious that you know you you think about things differently, and your mindset is um, you know uh, different to 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 the way that a lot of people are going to think. Is there, you know, if you could sort of you know put a billboard up, and the whole world was going to drive past it tomorrow morning. You know, what would you put on it to to to, to leave everyone a bit better? Um, it's, it's probably quite simple, but it's simply, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, you know, and in our sport, uh, and there is a persona around it because it is an expensive sport that you need a lot of money, which you do. But there is sometimes an image around that we've got to where we are because you know you've got a wealthy family, you had a lot of money and whatnot. Couldn't be any further from the truth. You know, we've had the work our butts off to get to where we are and it's never easy and people on from the outside like to think it's easy and you know they could achieve the same thing if they had lots of money and whatnot as well but it's, it's not like that there's a lot of hard work and graft behind anything or anyone who's trying to do something that's a bit different or in sport or business or whatnot and it's there is zero substitute for hard work and time and patience and persistence and um so yeah, that, that's probably always the thing that you're trying to portray the most is that it's um, never as easy as what some people think. But at the same time, anyone can do it as well if you if you if you're able to commit those those sort of attributes to it and and really put your heart and soul into things. Yeah, pressure makes diamonds for sure. Um, and I also think that 
if it was easy, you wouldn't enjoy it. You know, like it's, again, you talked before about the journey, you know, you, you talked about, you know, it's it's meant to be hard or it's, um, you, if it was easy, you don't get that satisfaction from it. You know, I always ask, you know, anyone, um, you know, if I, if I talk in a group, I would say, you know, like think of your proudest moment in your entire life. And, and everyone's a different, obviously, but the one thing that's synonymous is that nothing they're proud of was actually easy, you know, and it's, and, and the, the problem is we live in a world now where we want everything quicker and faster and sooner and cheaper and whatever. But the, the ultimate the paradox to that is that the things that bring us the most joy, the most satisfaction are actually hard. So, you know, it's the, it's an enjoyable for you when you look back because there was, you know, blood and sweat and probably tears in the process as well and that makes you enjoy the 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 journey just as much i couldn't agree more it's uh yeah like you say you hit the nail on the head with that one so um yeah easy is boring basically Hayden, mate, I am so appreciative of your time. Um, you know, like going into this, like I was so um, excited to be able to chat with you. As you can probably tell, I, you know, motorsport is not my thing, and I, I sort of did a lot of work to, to to educate myself to a point where I could, I felt like I could have a conversation with you. But mate, the last hour has been um, been absolutely tremendous. What a cool insight, and um, you know, those attributes you talk about. You know, I'm sure that whatever you do moving forward in, in, in motorsport or anything, that if you can apply those as well as you have to date, and um, you know, whatever you end up doing will, will no doubt be a success. And um, I look forward to, to following your journey um, as you move forward. And, and again, I'm, I'm really, really appreciative of your time. Awesome. I no, really appreciate it. And uh, great to meet with you and talk with you. And um, yeah, hopefully do it again soon. And there we go, Hayden Patton. Man, how cool is that guy? And look, after you know having an interview like that, you can certainly tell that he 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 deserves every element of success that he's had. He's so determined and so driven and so focused, and um, and he's so busy as well. You know, I don't know if you could hear, but in the background of that interview, there were literally cars racing around. He's at the track today working, and uh, I really appreciate him taking the time to come and have a chat with me. So thank you so much to Hayden, and of course, thank you so much to you as well. You know, there are so many podcasts podcast you could be, could be listening to and so many great podcasts as well and the fact that you chose to listen to this one today really hand on heart means the world to me so thank you very very much and look if there was something you took out of today or or maybe another episode of the Road to Success podcast if you do one of three things to me it would just be I'd be so grateful the first one would be to follow it again wherever you're listening to this right now just hit the follow button and you'll get notified when all new episodes of the podcast come out the second one would be to rate and review it again where if you listen to your podcast, there's an there's a option to rate and review. Please just hit that and leave a positive review. And the third one would be to share the episode. You can, again, hit the share button and send it to someone that you think might enjoy this conversation with Hayden Patton. Or alternatively, just tell someone to go and check out the Road to Success podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts as well. So look, thank you so much to you for checking this out. Of course, thank you to Hayden. And lastly, thank you so much to Celebrity Speakers for sponsoring the podcast. You know, if you if you are interested in having someone like Hayden come and speak at your event, then please just reach out to the team. And maybe you're at an organisation that has speakers regularly. If you'd like to hear Hayden Patton, go up to the person that organises the speakers and put Hayden's name forward and tell them to contact the team at Celebrity Speakers. That's all for me today. Thank you so much to Hayden. Thank you so much to the Celebrity Speakers. And thank you so much to you for listening. Love you. See ya. Bye.